Are you a person with natural leadership abilities? Do you consider yourself a motivated and driven person? Do you have a desire to help other people? If you've just checked all three of those boxes, Becky Ruff of Becky's Faith and Fitness is looking for you. About six months ago, my wife Becky started her own business as a beach body coach. It's been an amazing journey for her. She's running fitness groups. A lot of you that listen to this show have joined. She's helping to motivate people and change lives. And she's making money at the same time. In just six months' time, she's already starting to realize that she may be able to take the same leap that I did and leave her full-time job and move into a rewarding career that she loves. And she's looking for other people to add to her team to go on this journey with her. Now, she's not just looking for anyone. Becky is very committed to what she's doing, and she's not interested in people that just want to make money. Although you will make money as a Beachbody coach, her desire is to add people to her team that have the same desire to help people and make differences in other people's lives that she does. It's not a difficult job. Anybody can do it, but you have to be motivated to make a difference. If this sounds like something you might be interested in, send Becky an email at becky at beckysfaithandfitness.com. Or you can get in touch with her through her Facebook page, Becky's Faith and Fitness. Join Becky's Faith and Fitness team and start changing lives today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I am fired up today. This has been an amazing week. Besides all the new information that we've uncovered in Smith County, the overwhelming support and desire to help from all of you listeners has just been an incredible thing to witness. The Truth and Justice Army is in full effect, and we are on the brink of making some huge changes in people's lives. Our team feels stronger now than it ever has been, and we are a force to be reckoned with. So I want to thank all of you for all of your support and all of your engagement. And I also want to take this opportunity to fill you guys in on some more Smith County corruption that I just found out about when I was in Tyler last week. You all remember me talking about the Kerry Max Cook case at the beginning of this season. Kerry Max Cook is the man that was convicted and sentenced to death and after serving 18 years, got his conviction thrown out. The state attempted to retry him a number of times before they finally offered him an Alford plea about 20 years ago. Since then, Kerry Max Cook has been fighting for an actual innocence exoneration. About a month ago, he was granted that opportunity. On April 12th, in Tyler, Texas, there will be a hearing for Kerry Max Cook to fight for his exoneration. But Smith County is up to their old tricks again. David Dobbs, who is now in private practice, has been sworn back in as a prosecutor to help prosecute Kerry Max Cook's case. This is significant for a number of reasons. For starters, David Dobbs is the one who said, at least this murder conviction will follow Cook around for the rest of his life. And he said that after DNA evidence proved that it was not Kerry Max Cook who committed the murder. And in fact, the DNA that was tested was a match to the victim's ex-boyfriend, who had told police that he hadn't seen or had sex with the victim in over three weeks. So obviously Dobbs has always had a bone to pick with this case. But furthermore, there are a lot of accusations of corruption on Dobbs's part. And by being sworn in as a prosecutor, Dobbs is now not eligible to be called as a witness in the hearing. 
Any of you Texas listeners, please keep your eyes and ears open for this hearing. I would love to see a huge outpouring of support at the hearing. If at all possible, I will be there myself to support Carrie. Smith County needs to know that there are eyes watching them. In this week's episode, we're going to dive into a character who has only briefly been mentioned in this case so far. A woman named Patricia Mims, who at the time was also known as Plump, is the woman that Kenny Snow told me he believes is the one who called Crime Stoppers on him. Now, it was a little hard for me to understand through all the letters from Kenny exactly what role Patricia Mims played in his day on January 21st, 1997. But now that I have all the interrogation videos, I was able to piece together what Kenny thought happened back in 1997, just a week after the robbery occurred. These interrogation videos have been invaluable. It's hard to trust the memory of someone 19 years later, especially when it comes to small details. But with these videos, I'm able to see what Kenny thought and what his answers were to questions just after these events occurred. Now, you're not going to hear Kenny Snow's interrogation videos today. We'll get to that either next week or the week after. But today, I want you to get a little bit better picture of what went on during the police investigation and let you know how they got to where they were and try to give you a better understanding of the police investigation and how they landed on Kenny Snow. And besides that, I think it's a good lesson for all of you to hear an actual police interrogation. This is a good episode to get a pen and paper out and take some notes. What I'm going to play for you is the police interrogation of Patricia Mims. And there's some things that I want you to listen for while you're hearing the interrogation. First of all, something that should be noted that was told to me by both Kenny and Edward Ates is that being a poor black man in Tyler, Texas, gives you an inherent fear of the police. It's not much different from Baltimore in that regard. In this case, both Kenny and Patricia have had other run-ins with the law. Kenny has dealt with the Tyler Police Department during his forgery charges back in the 80s, the theft of the generator in the 90s, and to say that he didn't trust the police would be putting it mildly. Some things that you're taught to look for during an interrogation is number one, Is the person you're interviewing giving you what's called a free-flowing narrative? You've heard me say this before. Your job when you're interviewing someone is to let them talk. Don't give them information. You ask them to tell the story in their own words with their own thoughts. And there's a number of reasons for doing that. For starters, if you give that individual information and then they repeat it back to you, that information becomes useless. You have no way of knowing whether this is something they actually recalled or if they're just regurgitating your words back to you. And then you might ask yourself, as we all have in the Anand Syed case regarding Jay Wilds, why would someone do that? Why would someone confess to something that they didn't do? Or why would they accuse someone else of something that they didn't do? And a lot of that comes back to that fear factor I was just discussing. Put yourself in the shoes of an underprivileged African-American individual in Tyler, Texas, a town that has gained notoriety for getting a conviction at all costs. Once you step into that interrogation room, you know that you're going to jail. You're not getting out of there unless you throw someone else under the bus. It is the definition of an adversarial situation. And so another thing that you'll notice during an interrogation is that the interviewee will reach a point of what I like to call the point of no return. 
Meaning, in an interrogation, the person you're interviewing sometimes, most times, reaches a point where they realize that they're not getting out of there. That nothing they're saying is working, the officers interviewing them do not believe them, and they're in some deep trouble. At that point in an interview, a suspect will start flailing and stammering. They'll start throwing darts in any direction they can trying to get out of this. They'll start blaming other people. They'll start generating other narratives, one after another after another, that aren't consistent with each other. They're grasping at straws, basically. Patricia Mims is in that interrogation room because before her, Kenny Snow reached the point of no return. In his first interview, he denied any involvement in these crimes. He said that he'd had an altercation with a person at a tire shop, the one that I'd mentioned to you before. He left, went to another tire shop, and bought a tire for $18. And when recounting his day to the detectives, he said that Plump, or Patricia Mims, was riding with him. Now, in Kenny's case, during his interrogation, Detective Bobby Van Ness tried to play the nice guy routine with him. Good cop, if you will. But as the interview goes on, he starts to really put some pressure on Kenny. Anytime it seems like he's starting to believe him, he's being nice to him, he buys him a sandwich at one point, then he snaps right back into all of the reasons why Kenny's there and how he knows that Kenny Snow is the one who committed the crime. Finally, nearly an hour in, Kenny starts asking about the difference between the two charges, robbery and simple robbery. And then he starts flailing. He tells Vanessa and Waller that maybe Mims is the one who did it that she had left with his car at around noon, that she had went with him to get the tire, they went back to the Dixie Motel, and then she took his car. And while she was out with his car, she picked up his girlfriend, Sean. Apparently, Kenny and Patricia used to mess around, as he put it, back in the day, and Sean wasn't happy about them hanging out together. So then Kenny gives Patricia a ride back to a shell station where she had left her car, a blue one, and went back to the hotel, and he said he and Sean were arguing for most of the evening. She was mad because he was hanging around Patricia. Now, after Kenny's first interview, you'll remember that Vanessa and Waller took Kenny outside for a smoke break, and that's where he decided to come clean. Now, Kenny says that once they got outside, they started threatening him with arresting Sean, his girlfriend, and the mother of his child, if he didn't confess to the crimes. So Kenny said that he would confess to the one at Bill Cole's used tire, but not the aggravated robbery in Tyler. One thing I notice, and you'll notice once we get to playing the interviews of Kenny Snow, is that Kenny is very protective of Sean. There's several times throughout the interview where they mention Sean, and you see that Kenny is noticeably protective of her. So it does actually make some sense to me now that maybe he would confess to protect her. But in any case, what you need to know for this episode was that after he did that, they took Kenny back in and recorded another interview, his confession. And there are some shady things about that confession interview that we'll discuss when we get to that recording. But in the confession, he says that Patricia Mims, or Plump, went to Bill's tire shop with him. He committed the robbery, and they went back to the Dixie Motel. He says all the same things as far as Plump leaving and coming back, and him arguing with Sean most of the evening. But then he says that Plump came back later in the evening with two other guys, and that she had a lot of money with her and she wanted him to hook up a connection to buy some drugs. That's why Patricia was arrested. Now, a little background on Patricia. She does have a very long criminal record. Her record includes several possession charges, four theft charges, and one other robbery besides this one. About a week before she was picked up for this robbery, actually one day after the Bill Cole used tire and the Ricky Dealer used cars robberies, Patricia was arrested for possession of crack cocaine, which is a felony. 
and she also had another pending felony charge for forgery at that time. One thing that I found interesting was Patricia was sentenced for these robberies on October 30th, 1997. She was sentenced to eight years of probation. Her other two charges were adjudicated at that point as well. For the forgery charge, she was given two years of probation, and the possession of crack cocaine charge was dismissed, all on that same day. This is significant for a couple of reasons. For starters, I found it really odd that she and Kenny were charged with the same crime, and she was sentenced in October of 1997, but Kenny wasn't sentenced until November of 1998. He sat in the Smith County Jail for over a year after his accomplice had been sentenced. Which makes sense if Kenny's allegations are true that they told him they weren't going to do anything with his case until after Edward Eights got convicted. The other piece of that is I'd love to know what Patricia Mims' deal was. There's no plea agreement on the record, but she was charged with three felonies and walked away with only 10 years of probation. And like I said, the felony possession of crack cocaine charge was completely dismissed. Yet, in 2006, she was arrested with the exact same charge, felony possession of crack cocaine under one gram. But that time, she was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison. The case file search says 150 months in state penitentiary. So it's an interesting contrast. It's also interesting that her probation was just straight probation. It wasn't deferred adjudication. Whereas Kenny's sentence left his charges open Basically, it kept him under the prosecution's thumb, so anytime they wanted to, anytime he violated his probation, they could sentence him to anything they wanted to within the law. I think that's enough background on Patricia Mims, but before I play the interview, I want to just remind you of a few facts of the case, and I want you to see how easy it is for a jury to be manipulated by these interrogations and confessions. You'll hear that Patricia Mims sounds convincing. But like I said before, pay attention to where the information comes from. Watch her when she starts flailing. Notice how she'll say things, the police will suggest something else, and miraculously she agrees with them. Also, you can't just go by what the person being interrogated says. You have to compare that back to the facts of the case that we know. So things you should note before listening to this interrogation. According to the police report, and what Bill Cole has told me still now in 2016, is that the person that robbed him was wearing a green and yellowed colored shirt. The police report says it looked like the colors of the Green Bay Packers. The first time I asked Bill Cole what the person was wearing who robbed him, he told me it was just like a t-shirt, kind of like Green Bay Packers. That's how he remembered it. Now the police reports say that the person who robbed him had a baseball cap on. But when I've asked Bill about that now, he says he does not remember a baseball cap. Now, that's someone's memory from 19 years ago, so you can take it or leave it. But giving all of the known discrepancies in this police report, I tend to believe Bill over what's written here. Bill Cole also said that the person who robbed him had their car parked around the side of his shop. He also said that after he took the money, he yelled at him and said, don't move, don't move, and he ran out of the shop. And by the time Bill got to the front door with his gun... They were peeling out of the parking lot into traffic. So those are just a few of the facts of the case from the witness. Other than the baseball cap, this is what is said in the police report and still said by Bill Cole today. Of course, we know we have all the known issues with the color of the car and all of that. But for now, regarding what Patricia Mims is saying here, those are the facts of the case that we know. I'm going to take a quick break here for the ads, and then you're going to hear the full police interrogation of Patricia Mims. What you've been arrested on 
uh, I want you to uh, make sure you understand. Okay. There was an, a warrant issued by a judge here in Smith County to Detective Jason Waller of the Smith County Sheriff's Office mm -hmm. uh, for a robbery charge. Mm -hmm. It's not aggravated robbery, it's just robbery. Well, see, listen. Okay, go ahead. Okay, it, uh, it based on a robbery that occurred at Swan, Texas, mm -hmm. Bill's Tire Shop. Okay, uh, Detective Waller is in court. I just called him on the phone and asked him, if I, I told him that you've been taken into custody by Officer Lemons mm -hmm. on his warrant. He asked me to go ahead and, and talk with you about the case because he's tied up in court and he knows that you're wanting to, to get everything straightened out as quickly as possible. Okay. So that if there's some circumstances that he needs to make the district attorney's office and the judge aware of that he can. Okay. okay. Uh, this warrant is based on an affidavit filed by him with the judge. Okay. okay? Based on uh, some evidence that he obtained. So, uh, the evidence, I believe, uh, is a bull crap evidence, and you know it. Well, I don't know. I, I, okay, I'm here to start. What, I, what I want you to do is tell me, uh, the, uh, in, for, in case you don't remember, this robbery occurred. I know when it occurred now. Do you? Mm -hmm. I didn't know when. It, I didn't know what was going on. Okay, let me. I know, but the date. You remember the date? I just know it was on a Monday. I think. No. Well, Monday was uh, Martin Luther King's holiday. Okay, well, it was the next day, wasn't it? Right. It was the okay. next day. It was, it was on a Tuesday uh, uh, on the, let's see. But see, I'm but saying. It was the, in Martin Luther King's day on the 21st. Yeah. So this would occur on the 22nd, is that right? Okay, okay. Let me, let me make sure, because I get all these dates mixed up. Cause but I know it was on a Monday or a Tuesday. It was a morning. It was a Tuesday morning. Because listen, what I'm gonna tell you everything. I don't have no okay. lie. Start a uh, second. Let me make it. It was on the twenty first, nineteen ninety seven. That was a Monday, wasn't it? That was oh, a Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. That was a Tuesday. Okay. The twentieth was a holiday. Okay. Okay. And on a Tuesday morning, uh, January twenty first, nineteen ninety seven, here in, in Smith County. Okay. So start early that morning. Okay. Tell, early tell that morning. Happened. Let me tell you what happened. Early that morning. I had been with some friends of mine and I left and I went up to the Shell gas station. Mm -hmm. And I've been knowing Kenny ever since I was about 16. Now what Shell service? On Martin Luther King and I parked my car. Martin Luther King. I mean not Martin Luther King but Gentry Parkway. Okay, because I didn't know what Shell service. Okay, Shell, King. the one that everybody go to, you know, the 24 hour Shell. Yeah, on Okay, the, so I parked there. That's it, what, the Gentry and Ross? Mm-hmm. Gentry Ross, Gentry, yeah. Yeah, Gentry Moore, Gentry Ross. It's in between now. Okay, so I parked this little blue Ford car that I was driving. Not the same one I was in today. It was a little blue Cavalier. Okay. Okay, so I parked the car. It had, um, 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 the handicap thing on it. And the car had been diagnosed. So I pulled up and Kenny pulled up. And he said, uh, Plump, I want you to come go somewhere with me. I said, go where? He said, you got any money? I said, no, nah, I don't have no money. I said, I got a little money. He said, what you mean little money? Because I was talking about the time about some real money. He said, I just need a little money. And I said, well, I got three, four dollars. He would put gas in the car. The man won't shell it. In your car? No, in his car. The little maroon photo car. Okay, but the night before then, wait a minute, let me start this. At the night before then, he come out to the motel room where me and David Barker was. What motel room? At Townhouse Motel. Him and Sean got it. What room? Room one. We was either in 121 or 123. One of them rooms on the, okay. on the far side. Okay. okay. Not the ones where everybody be doing their thing. It's across the way. Okay. okay we was in the room and he came out there. Him and Sean got it. What was he wearing? He had on uh, a baseball cap, 
What kind of baseball cap? You remember color or anything? A twin, I think. A blue. I'm not sure if it was blue and white or red and blue. Okay. I'm not sure. Right. Okay, he came my third that night. He had on a brown jacket, some blue jeans, some kind of shirt, and a cowboy hat. I mean, a cow baseball cap. Not a, you know, just a regular mm-hmm. baseball cap. Okay, and then that morning, I seen him at the shelf. He asked me to come ride with him. I said, okay. He said, well, I'm going to go. wearing the same clothes? He had on the same thing he had on this shell. Yeah. He had the same clothes on on the, on the, on the paper. Okay. Okay. And then he told me to come ride with him. So, okay. He said, well, come, my tire messes up. I'm finna stop and give me a tire. And I said, cool. You know, which I knew he, I, I didn't know what he had on him. Okay. So he went off in the tire place. I'm sitting in the car. And you know, I ain't thinking just of, you and him. Just me anybody? and him. But nobody else. But listen to what I'm gonna say for the end. Him and Sean Gossett went somewhere too now. I don't know if he, he I don't know if that's when he got the store, I don't know if he got it then or what he done. I never went in. Okay. I wasn't driving the car or nothing. I was just sitting in the passenger side. What happened when y'all pulled in? When we pulled in, he got out. He where, went do you in. Pull, which, where do you park? He pulled up to the double Franklin. Okay. So the man would have known if I was driving the car. Okay. Okay. He got out the car. He walked in just like you normally gonna go in the store to get you something. He walked in. What time of day was it? Oh, about. I'm gonna say about 11, 12, something like that. Okay. In between the hours. So it wasn't early morning. It was like midday. Yeah, something like that, I think. I think it was like about between. It wasn't 9 or 8 or nothing like that. It was later than that. It was later than 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay, and then he went on in. He come back out, he was talking to me and stuff, just like ain't nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, now this how I tell you how dumb I was. I'm driving the car around. I went to Shell gas station in the car for a minute. He came out and got the car, where'd y'all go? We went straight up 69. We, we didn't fly up 69, we just drove up the street. Like we hadn't done nothing, cause we, I, you know, I ain't thinking about nothing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't driving or nothing. The man would tell you I didn't get out of the car, I didn't do nothing. I sat in the passenger seat just like I was when we drove up. I was in the passenger seat when we drove off. Okay. Okay. Where did y'all drive to? He went straight up 59 and we took a left right there by the, uh, like we always do. We took a left right there behind, going behind the LBC building and went on out to about the Esquire. Matter of fact, when we left there, left out by, we went, okay, we took that left and we went behind the what, what left? It's okay. You know how you come to 59? It's a club right here. And on the left hand side, you see Golden Night. Yeah, you know how yeah. everybody yeah. take that left? Desert Nights. Yeah, we took the left side, there's a knife that come out over there, right by the loop, right there, uh-huh. before you get up to the aluminum can uh-huh. place. We got to the aluminum can place, we took a right, and we went straight on Grand Street, and he, you know what he did. No. He went and cost him some stuff. Uh-huh. Okay, when we got off of Grand, we went straight to Dixie Motel. So I ain't thinking he gonna rob nobody. We just drove up in Dixie like it wasn't nothing. Okay. He went in Dixie. I went in the room and talked to him for a little while. Did and he already had the room rented or did he? No, he went and rented the room. I don't know. Oh, you sat in the car? Well, I sat in the car. That's why I didn't think nothing was wrong. Okay, and then after he rented the room, we went and out. We talked, we laughed, and he told me to go and get him something to drink. I went down to the store, went right down the shell in the car to get something to drink. And I was free to get my car, but I didn't get my car because I didn't have nobody else to drive for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I brought his car back. 
Okay, and then he got mad at me because I brought Sean got to this girlfriend back with me when I came back the last time when I left. I brought Sean. Oh, Shawn. you left again? Or you yeah, I was gone in the car twice. Was this after you went and got the drinks and brought back? Yeah, I brought him the drinks back and then, then, you I, left again? then I left again because I said I don't want nobody to mess with David's car. That's David, was David's mom's mm-hmm. car that was parked up there. So Kenny kept telling me, don't, uh, don't leave in the, don't leave in the car. And then, see, that's when it started making me wonder what was going on. He said, don't leave in the car no more. I said, well, you take me to my car, and I can drive my own car. Okay. I don't... This is after you picked up Sean or before? Before I picked up Sean. Okay, so then he said, well, you just go and go to your car and get whatever kind of clothes you want to put on for the night. And then, uh... I stopped and ran into Sean, and Sean got mad at me. Sean got to got mad at me. Where did you run into Sean? Oh, her girlfriend house over Lorraine house. They was trying Lorraine to get who? Lorraine. Uh, I don't know her last name, but she stayed that? right there by. Uh, okay, you know where. Uh, Okay, you know, like, when you coming down Martin the King, mm-hmm. okay, Morris right here, and it's a street right across the street from Moore, and her house is like a little yellow house on the right-hand side. It's Ralph. It's more. It's either Ralph or Moore. The ending of the one of them two streets. It's Ralph. The ending part of Ralph. You know uh-huh. how you go across. So Sean was already there. Sean was over. Yeah, Sean was over to Lorraine's house. So I went over there, and Sean. This was in the early. I, this was in the early part of the day. Now this is before he even got late. This is before he did the second thing. Okay, well, so he did the so second. You picked up Sean and y'all. I back. picked up Sean and Anybody he. Anybody else go back to Montpelier with y'all? No. Oh. This girl rolled with us back over there. Uh, her name is Sherry. She got a white car. I see her all the time. You probably see Bimbo in her car all the time. But I can't think of her name, her last name. But Sherry. Y'all went back to the motel. Yeah, me, Sherry, and Sean. All of us went back to the motel. I'm and not... she was still there. Oh, Kenny. No, Kenny was still Kenny there. Kenny was still at the motel. Okay, so then I... Uh, Gay, so that's got, when Sean got mad at you? That's, yeah, Sean got mad at me. Him and Sean both got mad at me. Kenny put me out the room. So I'm like, okay, fine, you know. Take me back to the car. Okay, so he took, and the man that shell will tell you, he drove me back up there and I got out the car at the pump. And went over to the car and got in the car and I crunk up the car and I left. And that was the end of the day. I didn't even really, you know, catch on to nothing. Then Sean kept talking funny about something, about... Uh, Kenny, you, you didn't have no reason to go and get her. You know for a thousand over. She might not know, but she gon' know. You know, she ain't dumb. Okay, then I said it. Okay, let's say what happened. A couple of days later. This was after you picked up the car at the shell. You went back to the No, 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 no. This is what Sean told him while we was in the room. Oh, while y'all were in While we was in the room before they keep me out the room. Mm-hmm. See, okay, and I'm, see, he said Sean, Sean telling him, you know, like, he shouldn't have came and got me if he wasn't going to tell me whatever he was doing. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so then I get out the room. Sherry will tell you, I left Kenny room. I walked over to Sherry's room and waited on... Oh, Sherry had a room there at the Dixie. Sherry was with this dude named, uh... Oh, I don't know, but he stayed there in the Dixie. He stayed in the Dixie. So... Black guy, black guy. Black guy. A black guy. He got a white friend. They all work together off and on. Some little construction like job. Construction company. Yeah, but now he stayed there, period. He won't, he'll be there. If you go there today, he'll be there. Okay. Okay, so then after all that little commotion when they put me out the room, I went over there and then I told me just to go back and knock on the door and see if Kenny would take me to my car. So I went and I knocked on the door and Kenny said he was fixing to leave in. His car steady going down, steady going down. Because he had a big old hole, big old uh, boat in it. Okay, so then he told me, yeah, Trisha, I'll take you back. And I, he took me back up there and that was the end of that. 
I never heard nothing else about it until I looked in the paper and seen that sketch. Mm-hmm. And I thought about where we were that day. And then I told David Walker, and David Walker called in and told, I said, I, I told, this is what I told him, I said, David, I said, I did not know what else he done. I wasn't sure. I really wasn't sure at first until I seen that sketch. And I said, I live out there, I live out there almost all my life, and her kid is done when it robbed somebody right up there, right on my nose, and I didn't even know it. Okay? Right when he, when I really figured it out, I was sitting at Townhouse Motel, I was reading the paper. And I told him, I said, Kenny did that shit that day when I was in the car and I didn't even know. And that's right then, when we figured it out then, that, you know, we started putting the pieces together and he kept saying the maroon photo car and stuff. And I just kept, I kept on reading the paper trying to see what was going on because at first I thought I was just seeing things. I'm going to be honest with you, I thought it was just some tricks. Okay? So then after then, I never could find Kenny nowhere in town. And it all comes to me then. It let me know that's what he had done that day I was in the car with him. But he didn't speed off like he had done nothing. And the man will tell you, I never got out the car. I never drove the car off or nothing. The only time I drove the car was when we was in Tyler. And when we was in Tyler, it was from Dixon Motel. But nobody never tried to stop me or nothing in the car. I had the windows roll down. My hair is just like it was then. When he did that. So you would know if I did it. You would know if I tried to run. My heart is the exact way it was then. Mm-hmm. So what is I'm going to ride the man for? And the man know me. So you didn't see Kenny later that day? I didn't see Kenny no more after he did that. No more. I never seen him no more. He was with Sean Gossett. That's on God truth. And I seen Sean right over there on, um, on, on, um, no Queen Street last week and I told Sean exactly this. I said, Sean, why you didn't tell me that Kenny was robbing stores? And she said, Trish, I didn't know you, I didn't know you didn't know what was going on. I said, I'm going to tell you just like this. I turned them in. I sure did. I said, I turned them in. I said, because before all of it's going to follow me and I ain't did nothing. I ain't did nothing. The man, if they, if you was to bring that man in front of me right today, the man that he robbed that bill top, he would tell you I didn't get out no car. He didn't even know I was in the car. I told on my own. But you, you understand why you're down here, though? No. It's like being in a bank robbery, being in a getaway car. But I didn't know he was stealing, though. Okay. I'm being well, honest how, with how you. How are we going to prove? I don't know how I'm going to prove it, but that man will tell you I didn't get out of the car. Mm-hmm. I didn't do nothing. Now, well, you, I you do things. You didn't get any later that day? No, I didn't go back. You didn't see him? I didn't see him no more. So Sean was with so him. So we're told by somebody... That you came back to the motel that night with another guy. No. Black guy. Mm-mm. They'll tell you. Anybody at that motel will tell you. I was trying my best to get away from them. When he left, when he him and Sean kicked me out that room, I didn't come back out there. They will tell you that. I didn't go nowhere. When they kicked me out. say anything about the guy that he had to fight? No. When you done seen it the other day? Mm-mm. She didn't tell me nothing. She wouldn't even talk to me about it. She had like she didn't even want me to know that she was... See, I'm going to tell you just like this. I know that Sean Gossett and Kenny didn't rob them last people that they robbed. See, I, I had that feeling because Sean wouldn't talk to me about it. When I asked Sean why she didn't tell me that Kenny was robbing folks, why she didn't tell me, she said, uh, Trish, I thought you knew. I said, no, I didn't know. Kenny didn't tell me nothing that Sean said. Uh, well, I don't want to talk about it. I said, well, before it's all over, you're going to be rounded up in it just like I'm rounding up in it. And then she just looked at me and I said, well, y'all, he could have told me what he was doing because I would have got out the car. I would have got out the car. What, I'm going to rob somebody for that 10 time. I'm in no trouble now. 
I don't need nobody getting me in no more trouble. And I'm like, I already got PCS on me. I got fudge charge on me. I don't need no robbery on me. He robbed that man. I did not go in there with him. I didn't do nothing. And he know it. He didn't even have to lie on me. But how do you know he robbed that man? Because when I looked at some pictures, when I looked at the pictures and I thought about it, okay, I'm going to tell you what made me think. Was I seen that crime stopper thing. And I said, baby. Ain't nobody did this with Kenny. He said, why you say that, Trish? I said, because it looked like Kenny, and me and Kenny was over there the other day when he said he was going to get a stop. And that's what made me know. And then I'm looking at his face on the drawers, on the pictures. That could have been anybody. That could have been my mama he robbed. Did he uh, buy a tire for that thing? Uh-huh. He didn't bring nothing out of That's what I'm saying. That's what let me know Kenny done it because he didn't bring nothing out. Did you ever see him with any mice? No. I didn't see him with no lipstick. Have you ever had a can of mice on your key ring? I had a can of mace on my key ring. Let me see. The day when I couldn't find my keys. What day was that? That was the night that they was after. The day they was at the room. That's what I'm saying. I told David everything. I said, David, I said, so my, you had a, you had a, 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 I had a, a cat on your key ring? Not on my key ring, on David's key ring. What did it and look like? Just like a regular can of mace. Well, they come in different colored cans or black. Huh? I think it was black. I think it was black. I'm not sure. I'm going to tell you where, I, where we got you it know, from. It comes in, in, in blue, red, white, and black. And it's different kinds for different different ages. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm not sure. I'm gonna be honest. I just know that. Did you recognize it if you saw yeah, it? Yeah, I recognize it if I saw it again. I tell you the truth. I'm gonna tell you when it happened. Okay, one day, um, the night that um, David, that me and David was at townhouse, and him and Ken, that Kenny, Kenny and Sean came out there that night. I didn't see my kids until that next morning. I didn't see my kids that next morning. We was over Bill House. Was that after the after the robbery or before the robbery? That was that was before. That was before. But see, I never did see him with the the mate, the the mate, the the can of mate though. That's what I'm saying. That's why at first it didn't click with me. I'm gonna tell you when it really clicked with me was when I seen everything in the paper. Looking in the paper at his face, and I know how he looking. I know where we was. You that's know, why you're talking about the composite drawing. Yeah, that's why I turned him in. Not the day his picture was in the paper when he was arrested. Uh 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 uh. When the original, when the original composite come out, I was the one who told David Barker, and David Barker called Crime Stoppers. Well, I don't know who called Crime. Stoppers. He called Crime Stoppers. I was there. Yeah, we got to his recalls. Yeah, he called Crime Stoppers. I called too one time. Did you? Yeah. And now I'm down here. Okay. I called, David called, and I don't know who else called. Sean might have called too. Because see, it all started coming fitting together when I started thinking about, okay, listen. He told me when I got out of there, he said, uh, pump, you ain't, uh, you ain't been nowhere with me. You don't know nothing. But I did know nothing. See, it was the things he was saying to me that made me feel like he had done something wrong. Like, okay, he was getting high and he said, oh, I hate I done what I done. And I just looked at him. What you do? Then I just went on, you know, I, he ain't talking about nothing. He just tripping, skipping and high. Them my exact words. Every time somebody gets to talking about when they, uh, they done something. You know, sometimes you be done something. You might have heard somebody finish. You, he never would say exactly what he done. 
You understand what I'm saying? Only time it all done on me was that composite. That y'all put in the paper, that composite. And then I asked David, where was the extra set of keys? Matter of fact, we don't even have the extra set of keys to the car. That's right. We don't have the extra set of keys to the car. Sure don't. That was the set of keys that the mace was on? That was the set of keys that the mace was on. We don't even have the extra set. We don't have one set of keys now. And that, and them set of keys right there had locks that go to my mom's house in the country. It had all different kind of keys on The only set of keys he got now is the one set of keys to that Cadillac and that, uh, that little regular blue car that you see today. He got one set of keys and it was a set of two sets of everything. Them keys been gone ever since that happened. And he'll tell you that. They been gone ever since that happened. Ever since. And see, it all just so done on me with the deal with Kenny was because I was talking to David and David tells me that Sergeant somebody said that uh, Kenny told them that I had something to do with it. But whatever he done, he done on his own. He could have told me and I would have put like they got an obstacle and went on by my business. Now, as far as robbing somebody, I'm not with it. And that man will tell you, I didn't rob him. I didn't get out that car. I didn't do nothing. That man on 69, he will tell you, I did not touch him. I didn't rob him. I didn't do nothing to him. Have you seen Kenny since then? Uh-uh. Just on the news, paper. Okay. That's all the only place I seen Kenny. Sean ain't even seen Kenny. I'm going to tell you, only place I seen Kenny. The last, the very last time that I seen Kenny Snow was that day when he did what he did. And he kept talking about he was going to Vegas and he supposed to have a fight sometime this month. And I was the one told David to tell Crime Stoppers he was going to be in Vegas. Because that's what he said. And that was the last time I heard or seen him was that day. I haven't seen him since then. I haven't seen his little brother. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen nobody. Was there any guys with him that day that you saw him with? See, Ray came out there, but Ray, I, Ray Jones, but I don't think Ray had nothing to do with it. You know, I told Ray, I said, Ray, why you didn't tell me what Kenny was doing? Ray said, Pump, I thought you knew what was going on. I said, man, I didn't know until I seen that in the paper. Now, who is Ray Jones? Ray Jones, there, he bought two. three Ray Jones. Oh, you're talking about Ray Jones, the boxer out yeah. there in Joey's gym? Yeah. Okay, I know okay, that one. Okay, now okay. you know that one. You know that Ray that's... Jones lives out of the country. Yeah. But that is the one the boxer. It's the boxer. Yeah. Okay, and then Tony, his brother, his brother kept trying to tell me what was going on. He said they been doing this stuff off and on. Who had been doing His brother Tony told me that Kenny been doing this stuff off and on. This is after Was his brother been helping? I think his brother have been helping. I don't know for a fact. That's just like what what do I look like? Do I look like a man? Do I look be honest, do I look like a man? Anywhere. I don't care if I roll up my base, roll up my hair and put it on the baseball cap. Do I look like a man? Well, with earrings hanging out of my ear? I don't know. This particular if day. If I had my eyes beat shut, one of them beat shut. But I didn't go in. I ne- the, listen, if I could get that man <laughs> that owned that that tire company to come right here right now, mm-hmm. he would tell you, I did not get out the car. Well, I'm not talking about that man at Swan. I'm talking about this man up here across from the Dixie Motel, that garage over there. Huh? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did not go nowhere near that place. And you can take me there right now. And he'll tell you, I was nowhere around. Somebody 
somebody did because while Kenny was holding the man on the ground after he beat him. Sean was with him. Sean Dyson was with him with that baseball cap on her head. Somebody came in so there. So that's why I'm in her. Somebody came in there and went through his pockets and took the Sean Dyson. That was Sean Dyson. Well, how you know it? I know for a fact it was Sean. If it was any time after 12, after 9 in the daytime, if it was any time between 9 and 12, Something like, say, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Sean Mugaisi was with him. I, I swear to that. The robbery that you charged with happened at high noon, 12 o'clock. I wasn't Swan, up. Texas. I was not there. I was you were not Swan. in Yeah, I was in Swan, That's but I didn't commit it. I didn't do 12, anything. Well, but you were with him. That's the one you were with him with. Yeah, but I didn't do anything. Now, the other one happened at 7 o'clock that night. Sean Mugaisi was with that man. Sean Mugaisi was with him. I got out of the car with Kenny. When Kenny and Sean put me out that room, I didn't go back. I had no reason to go back. He put me out the room. And if I would have known that, what they was doing, what, I would have told it. My problem is yeah. two things, Patricia. First of all, at the second robbery, yeah. up here on 271, above the motel you were staying in, yeah. the second person was wearing a flannel check shirt, or mm-hmm. flannel tight check shirt. But a flannel tight check shirt? Mm-hmm. That's what Sean had on. And... They were driving a blue car. A blue car? But see, it depends on what kind of blue car they was driving. Mm-hmm. See, if they weren't driving a blue, old, handicapped Chevrolet Cavalier, it was not me. Matter of a fact, I can prove where I was. Well, I can prove where I was. To, what I'm going to have to do is, is I'm going to have to find the car that you were driving. I, I can prove where I was. Take a picture of it and let the man look I at it. I can prove where I was. They used to be taking no pictures. Okay. You can call Fort Worth, Texas. And David Walker Mama would tell you where I was. At 7 o'clock the same At 7 day. o'clock that same day because he supposed to took his mama's car back to her and we had to get back. Matter of fact, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me make sure. That Tuesday was a fight. No, 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 no. All you got to do is go over on dark and they'll tell you where I was. Bill will tell you where I was. Uh, all of them will tell you where I was that day. Matter of fact, I was sitting in Bill's house. Freezing to death the same day because that, no. Nope. So that's what we need. We need to find out okay. somebody can vouch for you. I, I know somebody who can vouch for me, and he's a trained employee. This man here, David, went and borrowed some money from a man by the name of, uh, God, what is this man's name? The man is at home. I know he is. His that name, was the same day that, that the robbery happened. That was the same day that the robbery happened. He went out there and borrowed some money from this man named, um, uh, I heard by, uh, like you're going to Kelly. It's a little turn to the left. Right when you get the Kelly at that light, it's a turn to the left. He wanted to borrow some money from this man at some this little store. He made it at the convenience store. David can tell you exactly who the man is. He borrowed money from this man, and the man, uh, matter of fact, we met the man at that time. We sit in the place. The man stopped. We pulled up at the gas station. David put $12 worth of gas in his car. See, I know how well we can. That was the same day of the robbery. That was the same day of the robbery. I swear because he borrowed a hundred bucks from him. And if we weren't now, he, I know whoever it was, we borrowed, he borrowed a hundred dollars from him. It sure was. Or even we was in Linda, and that he worked with because his boss man told him to stop borrowing money from people at the job. And I know they'll tell you that. The boss people will tell you that. The man, if I, oh, what is his name? I, I, his name on the tip of my tongue. I know who he, I know the name when he called it because the same man come over to Bill's house again to pick him up when the car was, when the little young boy had the car. And that wasn't the same day of the robbery. 
See, Sean and uh and uh uh Kenny Snow committed this robbery. I didn't commit damn robbery. I didn't get out, I didn't touch nobody, I didn't fool with nobody, I didn't even know what was going on. But now this seven o'clock robbery, or whatever it is, you need to go pick up Sean Gossett. Cause they've been doing this mess, and then see the more and more I think about they it, they've been doing this mess. Whatever they doing, they've been doing this mess together. This is the way I feel. Because listen, they fail. I don't. I know. I can't what say what they've been doing. I'm just gonna say I know this. But Sean Gossett was with him at seven o'clock. I know this. Cause I picked her up from over to Lorraine's house the same day and took her over to the motel and Sherry will tell you that the girl acted such a fool they put me out the room. I got Kenny drop me off at um right up here at um So if we're told that you went back to Kenny's room that they night They won't tell you that because I did 10 or 11 o'clock at night. They won't tell you that because I did And you had a black guy in the car with you at that time. Mm-mm. And that you had a lot of money with you and you gave him $200 Kenny is the our biggest liar I've ever seen in life. That's where you got that lie from. Nobody but Kenny Snow. So he can quit trying to railroad me. He can quit lying on me. Because I ain't been more went back to Nam Motel to see no Kenny Snow. Now that's the way they treated me. Would you go back to a room with somebody and they just kick you out of a room? No, you wouldn't. What's I, up? I, I don't know. Did David went and borrowed money for me to uh to do whatever I wanted to do? Why would I go back to the room where Kenny Snow was? Why? Simple as that. He went and borrowed a hundred dollars from one of his co-workers. Why would I go back to the room with Kenny Snow? It wouldn't make no sense when I could take this hundred dollars and do it like I want what to. I, what I was told? Yeah, I really do. person said that the reason you went back to Kenny is because you couldn't make a connection and you wanted him to make a connection for you. Kenny? And that Kenny couldn't make he a had to pick- go and make a pickup for you because the people didn't trust you because they thought that you that might be That sounds just like Kenny Snow. And, he, and that Kenny was, had to do make the connection for you. Well, wait, can I ask you, where do you get your information from? No, man, I can't reveal You can't that. reveal your information. But so you I got to go through this night, sit here and take it. Did somebody lie on me and said I had to do a burglary? Only thing, 
Only thing I know was that him and Sean was together. That's all I know. I just know that they were together. And when I visited this son last week, if I could go to her right now, she can tell you I was not with kids. It's 7 o'clock in the afternoon. At 7 o'clock in the afternoon. She was laying up in Dixie Motel with him. And the woman that Dixie can tell you, I was not there. You know there. what room they were in? I'm not sure. It's the room. Like, okay, the pool is right here. In the middle. Uh-huh. And it's like, if you walk out of his room, you'll walk right there into the pool. Well, you can do that on any of them. No, not on, side, not on that side. Not on that side. I'm saying if you right here. Okay. okay, let's just draw a map of the okay. Dixie Motel. This is coming in. This coming in, Dixie. Where's 271 at? 271 is going to be right here. Okay. Okay. Let, let, me, let me draw. Yeah, draw and then I'll show you what I mean. Okay. We'll make this 271. Okay. Okay, this is the driveway coming up into Dixie Motel. Up on the hill. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Then the rooms go like this. Yeah. Okay. And this is uh, Martin Luther King over here. Yeah. This is where that old restaurant used to be. It's closed down. Mama's yeah. restaurant. And this is the office right here. Okay. Well, say. Okay, the swimming pool's out here, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, see, what I'm trying to tell you is. You know okay, where we're at. Okay, this, say we're coming up on the office that way. Mm -hmm. We're going to come. You know, it's a room. You're going to pass the room. Mm -hmm. You're going to go just like that. The room will be right there. Right here. Mm -hmm. On this backside. The backside. Exactly. Okay. Him and Sean was in there. Okay. Well, you've, uh, you give me some things that I need to check out. And I will make Detective Waller. He's up there in court in, in the hearing right now. He'll be getting out in a few minutes. And I, I want to know why am I going to jail for something I didn't do? Well, we've got probable cause. The I understand that. Issue a warrant, so I understand that. But I don't have no fifty thousand dollars to get up out of there for nothing I didn't do. I'll make Detective Water this as soon as we leave here. We're gonna go ahead and end this interview. It is four fifteen on two fourteen of ninety seven. Okay, and uh, to end the interview, I want to go over a few things with you, make sure everything is understood by you. Okay. The interview is, is uh, being given voluntarily by you, mm -hmm. Patricia Mims, of yeah. your own free will. Okay? And this case number is 97 3437. Patricia Mims, or Plump, is the only person who implicated Kenny Snow in these crimes other than the two victims. And the two victims never saw Kenny Snow in person. They were both told that a Crime Stoppers tip had come in implicating Snow. They were shown a mugshot book with a five-year-old picture of Kenny Snow. And that's the last that anyone ever heard from them. Martinez isn't mentioned in any of the court files. It doesn't say that he went to the sentencing hearing. And as we found out last week, while Kenny says that Bill Cole was at the sentencing hearing, or at least someone pretending to be Bill Cole, Bill says that he never heard another word from the police after the one and only time that he reviewed mugshots. And just an update on that, I'm currently waiting for the court reporter to send me the final transcripts of that sentencing hearing. Unfortunately, when I went to Tyler, she was out of town and she's going to be gone this entire week. But she's been communicating with me and she's promised me as soon as she gets home, she's going to pull out the notes and let me know right away if there's testimony from Bill Cole. 
Then she'll go on and generate the transcripts and send them to me. By the time you're hearing this episode, she should already have those notes in her hands. But in regards to Kenny's case, it's been tough for me. I've gone through a lot of ups and downs so far with Kenny Snow. It's hard to know whether I can believe what he's saying. His story sounds so crazy. So as I've mentioned before, I'm just trying to put my emotions aside and only look at evidence. That's why I'm waiting on those transcripts. Because I can't just take Kenny Snow's word for it. I need to see documented proof of everything that he's telling me. But listening to the interrogation of Patricia Mims is significant. Because she is all the police had. She was the leverage against Kenny Snow. They were obviously not confident in their victims. Because they never did any further involvement. They never did an in-person police lineup. They never did anything to confirm that Kenny Snow was the one that actually committed these robberies. There is zero physical evidence in this case. There was physical evidence collected. There was a mace can. There was blood. There was the baseball hat found at the scene. There were a lot of ways that the police could have corroborated these stories. But they never did. And when Kenny requested for those things to be tested... When he insisted that by testing that DNA evidence, it would prove that he didn't commit these crimes, the Tyler Police Department destroyed them, leaving him where we are now with no recourse. So despite the fact that the police chief might tell me this is not a case you want to be involved in, that Kenny Snow confessed, and that he pled guilty, that doesn't matter to me, because I've seen corruption. I've witnessed it firsthand. I've read about it in this case, and in several other cases in Smith County. I know that false confessions are something that does actually happen. And if this case did not go down the way that Kenny said it did, then why didn't the police and the prosecution do their job? Why was a convicted felon on parole only given deferred adjudication? Why was Ray Jones, David Barker, Sean Pluckett, Tony Snow, the two guys from the hotel, Patricia's friend Bill, why were none of them ever contacted? Why are there no interviews from them? These are all the people that were mentioned in Patricia Mims' interrogation. And if Tyler PD ever did follow up on these leads, they certainly never documented it as such. Their methods include nothing more than intimidation and threats. That's how they get their convictions. That's how they close their cases. And that's how they closed this case. They scared Kenny Snow into implicating Patricia Mims in the crimes. And then they scared Patricia Mims into pinning it back on Kenny, who I believe is the man they wanted all along. And while Patricia's interrogation may have sounded convincing, when you look at the facts and you listen for the details, her interview makes no sense. She says she specifically remembers that Kenny that day was wearing a brown jacket, blue jeans, and a ball cap. But Bill Cole says the person who robbed him was wearing a Green Bay Packers-type t-shirt and doesn't remember any ball cap. Patricia, at the beginning of the interview, before she had reached the point of no return, she talked about pulling up to the tire shop, Kenny walking in, and calmly walking out, getting into the car and leaving. She said they parked right in front of the front door. But Bill Cole says the person who robbed him parked around the side of the building and ran out the front door. When Plump was asked about the can of mace, she says no, she didn't have any mace. But then later, once she realized what the detectives were getting at, all of a sudden she remembers, yes, she had mace. And if you didn't catch it, go back and listen to that portion again. She says, oh yeah, I had some mace. And oh yeah, now that I think about it, they were on my keys. Oh yeah, they were my spare keys. And now that I think about it, they were missing that day. Yeah, that's right, that was the day I couldn't find them. So she's shifting her story to match what she knows the detectives are looking for, to try to save her own skin. But then right after that, they ask her, what color was it? And she didn't know. 
you hear her stumbling and mumbling through it. Uh, I don't know. It was just, I don't know. It looked kind of like, but, and then she snaps right back to, well, it was on that keychain that I was missing. And then the detectives tell her that it was black. So you heard firsthand, unedited, how these interrogations happen and how suspects land on a story when you have crooked cops leading the interrogation. And how do these people get convicted? Because all a jury will hear is that Patricia Mims described exactly how the robbery occurred, that she had a keychain with a black can of mace on it that went missing that day. The jury never understands how that story came to be. And what we have here is another Jay Wilde situation, except for his first interview was never recorded. The interview where they iron out all of these details. The parallels here are very disturbing. Just like Jay Wilde's, Patricia Snow was an underprivileged black person living in a town where people just like her are harassed by the police all the time. They don't trust police. The police use threats and leverage against them, and they scare them into submission. In the next week or two, when you hear the Kenny Snow interrogations, you'll hear a very different Detective Van Ness because he's trying to get a different result. With Mims, all he needed her to do was to say that Kenny Snow did this. And the easiest way to do that is through fear. But in Kenny's case, he's using the read technique to try to coax a confession out of him. And when that didn't work, they took him outside and threatened him where it hurt. And they knew where it hurt because he had revealed his one weakness during that interrogation. His girlfriend, Sean. So now you can see how simple it is for a police officer to craft a narrative that looks like it makes sense. Evidence is hard to manipulate. So in this case, they ignored it. But people, people are easy to manipulate. And the next question that we have is motive. What could possibly be the motive to frame Kenny Snow? Now we've speculated about this a lot, but after watching the interrogation videos, I think I have what is pretty close to confirmation as to what the motive was. Kenny has told me since we began talking that he believes that Patricia Mims is the one who called Crime Stoppers on him. And you just heard in that interview, Plump claimed to have called Crime Stoppers and also to have had someone else call. And Van S says something along the lines of, yeah, we've had a couple of calls or a few calls. And he says that he doesn't know who called. But that's not the story Bobby Van Ness had when he was interviewing Kenny Snow. I'm about to play a clip for you from Kenny Snow's first interview where Van Ness mentions the Crime Stoppers tip. And he knows exactly who it was. And so does Kenny. And listen closely for how quickly Van Ness changes the subject after he realized that he had just messed up and let the cat out of the bag. Let me tell you what, what we got. Okay. We were looking at several different people. We were, we didn't, I, to tell you the truth, I didn't even know that you were back in this area. Okay. Last week, we got a call on Crime Stoppers that told us that you did this. And told us you were staying in Motel 6. Told us what days you were there. When you checked out and when you left. I told you that. Told us where you were staying in Dallas. The room number you were staying in. The car you were driving. Where you're boxing out of. And who you was boxing for. That was the first time that I even knew that you were, had been back in this area. And somebody told, somebody told you something like that, like one person 
that, that knew where I was staying at, they probably cover their own ass. That'd be my little brother. Well, I can tell you it wasn't your little brother. Huh? I can tell you that it wasn't your little brother. Somebody else, somebody else know where I'd be staying at. That's it was Joe Costello. Yeah, Joe Costello. There's only two people know where I stayed down. Be Joe Costello. And of course he'd call in and say it because he mad because I wouldn't sign a contract with him. my little brother. And them only two people knew where I was in Dallas. Knew where I trained at in God. There's only two people that can tell you all that. So then we take them, see, we don't have a picture of you but 1992. Next week on Truth and Justice. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all of the music for the show. If you like the music, you can purchase the soundtrack, Truth and Justice, the Music, on iTunes. And you can go to truthandjusticemusic.com to listen to a preview. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. And a special thank you to Daniel Schaefer of Schaefer Audio Engineering. Daniel is a loyal listener who edits podcasts for a living. He reached out to me last week and offered to take some of my workload off and edit the podcast for me. This is a huge help and it frees up a lot more time for me to do research and show prep. So I personally am very appreciative to Daniel for doing this. It's going to make a huge difference. And if any of you are aspiring podcasters and are looking for someone to edit your work, please check out Daniel Schaefer first. His website is schaeferstudio.com. That's S-H-A-F-E-R studio.com. I also want to give a special thanks to Lisa Smith. Lots of you have been asking me about transcripts for the podcast. And Jill at Pod Transcription became overwhelmed at work and just couldn't keep up with transcribing the podcast anymore. That's why there haven't been any for so long. Well, Lisa just today offered to be our new transcriber. So over the next couple of weeks, keep checking back on the website. There should be transcripts for all the episodes up before too long. So thank you to Lisa Smith. And speaking of the website, I have started updating the case documents section of the website. I now have posted all the documents that I've been talking about in the last several episodes. So if you want to join in on the investigation, go to truthandjusticepod.com and click the case document page. And once again, I want to thank all of you for all of your support and engagement. What we're doing feels incredibly powerful and we're only getting stronger. Our next move is to expose the corruption that we've uncovered in Tyler to the people of Tyler. With around 200,000 people listening to this podcast, they're spread out across 94 countries and all over the United States. So only a small fraction of our listeners actually reside in Smith County. The overwhelming majority of Smith County residents have no idea what's going on in their county. I would love for that to change. So if any of you that are from East Texas or Texas anywhere have any connection to the local media, please shoot me an email to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. And let's start putting some pressure on these people and force some change and reform. If you have a new case that you'd like me to look into, email me at cases at truthandjusticepod.com. Follow me on Twitter at truthjusticepod or like the Truth and Justice Facebook page. However you do it, keep in touch. Keep engaged, stay informed. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.